When I fall, I got parachutes. 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 What you gonna say? What you gonna do? What you gonna gonna say? Is what they say true? And all these questions, I make sure I am still on top. And all these questions, I make sure this train is hard to stop. No matter what I say or do, no matter the song or two, it's me you cannot drop. I'm in a parachute up in the sky. I- I'm in a parachute. I'm soaring by. Parachute. I'm soaring by. When I fall, I got parachute. Politicize every song I sing. Tell you about a reality. You're living in a virtual reality. You're sucking on the tit that feeds you lies. Getting screwed by a system of ties to our demise. We are blamed. Why blame us? That's insane. All we know is pain. Control us for 300 years. Our epitome of fears in a machine that broke us. Made us get out of focus. Preacher told us, stop that hocus pocus. Look what we had. Our culture was just a fad. What they didn't still do is sad. It makes me mad. Why be racist? It's made us faceless. Made us into your slaves. Land slaves for your wage. In this first world country, you're the entire Repeat and recycle. Put more money in guns. We make war to be free. We make war to be free. Are we really? Giving him my all. Giving him my all. Gotta stand tall cause I'm giving him my all. Good morning. You're listening to Wake the F Up on 101.5 UMFM. My name is Christina. I use pronouns she, her, and I have a returning guest with me here today if you'd like to introduce yourself. Howdy, folks. It's uh, Dana Awaziak again. Uh, good to be back with y'all. And um, you can I can go by he or they pronouns. And awesome. it's going to be a wonderful show with Christina today. Awesome. Thanks. Um, the UMFM is located on the stone lands of Anishinaabeg, Mihaiwak, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. We respect the treaties that were made on these territories. We acknowledge the harms and mistakes of the past and those that are still ongoing in the present. We acknowledge our privilege as settlers on this land, and we dedicate ourselves to move forward in partnership with Indigenous communities in a spirit of decolonization and collaboration. So, holiday season is right around the corner, and this is a really great time to talk about mental health. Mental health should be intersectional, so this is a very important conversation to have in any um, realm of feminism. Uh, The way that you experience mental health will depend on your ability or disability. It will be impacted by how the world perceives you and how... Uh, systems of oppression affect you in terms of your race and your class and these are important conversations so we're going to delve into it a little bit more today so for those of you who don't know uh, Dana here joined me for an episode a little while ago and we had a whole episode where we talked about uh, basically a brief intro to neurodiversity as uh, as you Dana are somebody who who is neurodiverse so you're able to tell us a little bit about your experience with that Absolutely. I was actually just going to give a little update of what I've been up to recently. Um, mm-hmm. So in the past uh, few months, I was involved in or ha- I am still involved in volunteering in uh, mental health. And I managed to get a ADHD support group set up. And so we do welcome people who not only have ADHD, but also if you have an additional learning disorder, if you have uh, if you're on the spectrum, Asperger's and autism or any other uh, interest if you have friends or family that are also in that sphere uh, we welcome you to come down and uh, you know uh, 
have discussions about these experiences and mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunity for uh, learning and I do have a nice big folder on my Google Drive with resources and topics to talk about so it's it's different every awesome. time and very very unique. And you said it's an ADHD specific support group? Yeah mainly focused on that but we do welcome like anybody can come if you're just interested in learning more about it like even mm -hmm. educators, allies, uh, even if you just want to learn more about it like we're very open awesome uh, and how might people kind of find the support group uh, so this support group is uh i run it through an organization called mood disorders association manitoba so it is a, a fully peer run support group it is free to attend and uh actually a very high percentage of the way it's run is is purely by volunteer i think there's only a bit of administrative overhead that is actually like with um you know like non-volunteers but mm -hmm, mostly mm -hmm. everybody there is a pure volunteer which is amazing awesome so like really passion run absolutely just nice. goes to show you the kind of support you get in a community of people that are passionate about mental health and mm -hmm. and getting that sense of connectivity going on that's awesome yeah, yeah. um and if uh, if you folks are interested in that and missed any of the details you can just shoot us a message on the show's instagram wake the f up umfm and we can definitely send those details to you one more time so um switching gears a little bit um today we wanted to talk a little bit about how for you dana um you have told me about how uh being neurodiverse self-care looks a little bit different for you absolutely it's um maybe we'll give it a little analogy of the way that uh my brain works it's almost like so the analogy that one of my um the people i look up to who's a, a expert in adhd and uh neurodiversity would be ed hallowell he wrote a few books on adhd and his analogy is that uh the adhd brain is like a ferrari engine but with bicycle brakes Meaning that, oh, <laughs> meaning that there's potential to go in a lot of different directions with a lot of power and zest, but the brakes are just, you have to use external methods of brakes. And, and that basically comes in the form of different types of uh, support, such as, you know, the combination of medication uh, support strategies, different types of counseling skills building that are a lot different than what you would find in, you know, if you go to your average self-help section or if you get advice about, you know, specific life uh, topics, a mm -hmm. lot of them are going to look very different just because of the, the differences in brain wiring. Right. And so, like, you know, when we talk about self-care, a lot of those strategies are going to be a lot more in-depth and detailed and unique for our brain wiring because, uh, like I said before, if you meet one person with ADHD or even one person who's on the autism spectrum, you've only met one person. True. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, being a high powered engine with bicycle brakes, uh, that kind of illuminates why you talk about executive control so much. I guess that's <laughs> what that's your steering wheel kind of. Uh, it, it depends. Like uh, so without going into too much of the details, a lot of the executive functioning that uh, people who are not uh, neurodiverse have, they are, they're normally developed within the brain. And so those are, you can think of them as resources that are easily accessible, as, like uh, unconsciously, they just, uh, they're able to use them. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's, it just happens. Like it's one of those things where 
a person with a person without diabetes, they're able to regulate uh, that whole system with ease and with normal functioning. And a person yeah. who has, you know, let's say, an able-bodied person with, you know, all four limbs working perfectly is able to uh, use them fluidly without any hiccups. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But with the neurodiverse uh, spectrums, there's a lot of uh, external supports that we need in order to um, take the place of those normal functions. Right. Interesting. And so medications, like I mentioned, are one of those because uh, they actually do improve the parts of the brain that are working in executive function at the neurotransmitter level. Uh, other things like organizational skills, having executive coaches, people who have special training and coaching people with ADHD and mm-hmm. even with uh, Asperger's and autism, uh, therapy, counseling, diet and exercise. As generic and cliche, those two are, they do have a huge benefit on oh, absolutely. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So what you're getting at essentially is that uh, to do the same thing that neurotypicals always do, you have to kind of make a conscious effort. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, I'm really curious to know uh, about maybe kind of what points in your life you realized that uh, self-care looks different for you, if there was kind of a lead up to that. Absolutely. I uh, I definitely think that it's at a point in adulthood where we start to have more awareness because in, in youth... But you specifically, like, what, was it in your adulthood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so even just uh, talking to people in the groups and uh, just a lot of reading and learning about these experiences, what happens is because the demands of adult life are quite different than, you know, childhood and, you know, mm-hmm. adolescence and emerging adulthood. So uh, when you have more things that are coming into your life, it requires a whole new set of awareness in order to handle mm-hmm. the things. And, like, the one thing for me was just realizing how much energy I have for certain aspects in life compared to other people. Now, mm-hmm. I don't want to make it like you, you can have so many different kind of comparisons, like even people who are not on any neurodiverse spectrum may have, you know, limited energy for certain things. Of course. But it just gets a lot more. You're more aware of it when you spend time with people who are not on the spectrum and people who are on the spectrum and you can kind of you can viscerally feel those energy differences and mm-hmm. and the stuff that you need to take care of yourself with. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know that adulthood tends to be a transformative time for a lot of people, so that, that makes sense that you sort of had these realizations of how you need to regulate all of these things with your adulthood. Um, were there any other kind of moments where you realized that your self-care looked different? I, I think it... For me, definitely the change of structure or lack of structure is what really kind of prompted that because, you know, when you transition out of high school and then out of college, you realize that you are pretty much left to yourself to take care of your own structuring. Even even if you have, let's say, a partner or a relationship, and a lot of times, again, there's also some fallacies that, you know, sometimes people might think that, oh, your partner is supposed to, you know, help organize your life like to some degree that could be mm, true but mm-hmm. that is also kind of almost codependency yeah i was about to say that yeah. sounds a little bit like codependency so yeah it's ultimately. like an image yeah an image that the media likes to portray on us like mm. oh you could just rely on your partner to do things for you but <laughs> then again like the whole point of the relationship is two individuals that are already complete coming together right exactly yeah, yeah yeah so you're yeah definitely put into a world where you need to be independent and doing all of those things yeah, by yeah. yourself making all these decisions by yourself and it's huge because it's like this kind of thing 
for some people it kind of happens gradually or it can even come in moments of like a landslide yeah like those difficult <laughs> moments where you're just like holy crap and like for me luckily I've never had anything severe like that but I've had moments where they just I'm laying awake till like three or four in the morning thinking like I have to change certain things and like I said before that came with the realization of what I have for energy in certain contexts like so one of the things that I have my attention on recently for the past few years has been the combination of uh, working career uh, personal goals and and hobbies and interests and also uh, social life maintaining you know healthy balance of those and you know ideally we do want to have balance but there's parts in our lives where nobody's going to have that perfect amount and sometimes you have to do a deeper dive into certain areas and others that proletarian struggle yeah <laughs> and <laughs> and for hyper focus like that's the one thing that i sometimes it can be both a blessing and a struggle too where sometimes i need to put extra effort to hyper focus on a specific area that leaves me completely depleted of energy mm. without the ability to transition to another area so easily afterwards like say you know just after uh, a job whether it's you know like at work for a period of like say eight hours for an example or even if you're just doing something significant it takes time to process at the end of that to transition to a different mode of being so like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe a bit of uh, generic examples you know coming home from you know a difficult day at work and and you have let's say you, you want to work on a side project and then you want to catch up with a friend all those things they require you to transition into a different way of State functioning of, and, yeah way of functioning yeah and they all require different types of energy and it, it's very fortunate that there is like if you're a person who has you know gone through the self-awareness discovery and structured your life in a way where it works for you it's a great thing to be able to have you know both let's say a job or a career that fits with your strengths uh side hobbies and passions that you feel very energetic with and a good social circle who understands you know your unique wiring and mm -hmm. and you feel you really a part of the group Th those things are all a blessing and it's a great pri privilege to have them yeah absolutely and it de definitely does take a lot of you know that finding yourself to be able to have the awareness to put yourself and make choices for those decisions. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned that it affects your perception of time. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, just kind of went on a bit of a little bit of a, a, a path there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I know that like in general, like all humans, like we're pretty bad at having a objective and like uh, observation of like time passing you know yeah, yeah. like I'm sure we can all agree with the fact that when we're enjoying something time passes quicker and then if we're doing something tedious it feels like every minute is an hour but this will have like even more differences for you right yeah like you could even take a more extreme example of Einstein's relativity and <laughs> like you know because the time passing can be relative to each person but there is there has been some like research and showing that some of the brain differences of a person with ADHD actually does experience time differently. And mm. the analogy that I am, that myself and a few others that I've heard like to use is that time is experienced as an emotional state as either now or never now or not now. Oh, interesting. And expands. So you can so think hang on time is experienced as an emotional state yeah. either now or never. Yeah. And the, 
degree of adrenaline or uh, drive in order to complete a task that's based off of, you know, say dopamine regulation and all that kind of stuff. That is going to be what drives a person to do specific tasks. Like just, just, just watching a clock ticking or digital clock, whatever you want to use, mm-hmm. just watching minutes go by isn't going to drive your executive functioning into action. Often what happens is as the clock approaches a deadline, you start to get that sense. Again, I can't speak for everybody because some people might right, have right. differences, but... Yeah, this is your experience, yeah. Yeah, often what happens is you see that time is getting closer to a specific deadline or to an important event. And what happens is uh, you're, not, you're feeling kind of neutral. And then as soon as it starts to get more to that threshold of severity, you start to feel the adrenaline kick in. Mm. And then that's when your your executive function is mobilized and you're able to do a lot of fast acting, balancing acts that look like almost like you're working miracles it's like you know the oh wow the stereotype when people can do everything they need to do at the last minute yeah yeah it's totally true for me but that does come at some cost because yeah that can really add to anxiety uh procrastination can have a really severe impact on a person's life if not managed and there are ways to structure those differences in time perception to work to your advantage yeah yeah absolutely so if i'm understanding this correctly um does that kind of like the time pressure, the time stress, does that for you pretty much only kick in like at the last minute? Um, what does it feel like before that? Because I know I can feel time pressure even knowing I have to do something in a number of months. Yeah. <laughs> so on that on that grand scale of that for sure, like it, the earlier it is, it kind of comes in more fleeting moments of like, you know, thoughts and, and like feelings that like, oh yeah, I got to get this thing finished or I have to plan this specific thing right so it's more fleeting okay so whether you're experiencing it like a long time in advance or like right before it it's just fleeting yeah and then right as you get towards that threshold of severity that's when it starts the pressure really becomes a continuous uh motivator and then you have that ability to focus like really like a laser almost it's it's almost like the um the way that i describe is if you have, if you're on a medication regimen of a stimulant medication, if it's dialed in the right way, you kind of get the same ability to focus with that versus, you know, or it's kind of comparable to that last minute adrenaline. So there, oh, I see. Yeah, there is some similarities. They, okay. but though they work differently. Like with the adrenaline, you're it's based off like the norepinephrine, you know system and then with the dopamine system that's usually where the tra- uh, the blah, excuse me the the stimulant medication acts on that and again right. so if there's any kind of science and psychiatry uh, 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 enthusiasts out there I apologize for messing up a lot of this stuff because I really need to <laughs> have a paper in front of me with the proper terminology because <laughs> when I'm thinking on the spot here it's sometimes a bit uh, that's okay that's okay <laughs> Uh, so if I if I'm understanding this correctly, so if a medication kind of does what it's supposed to do, ideally, uh, then you would kind of always be aware of that time pressure. Not always, but it makes it more easier. So medication, okay. it's a tool that helps, but it's not it's not like a guaranteed thing. Like you could still have your bad days where everything can fall apart, even oh, sure. if you have like your medication working properly. But it's just it's one of those things that it helps to facilitate the proper functioning of the neurotransmitters that are involved in mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. perception everything and even with the the 
good use of medication, you're still not going to get rid of that now versus never thing altogether. Like, mm-hmm. what happens is when you have external markers and external cues that help to remind you, uh, that's where you have those, um, what do you call them, scaffolds or uh, not crutches, but like prosthetics. Like, these mm-hmm. things are helping you to do the function mm-hmm. you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Got it, you. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm, I still can't get over it. So, you said... Uh, that emotions are experienced as now or never. Uh, sorry, so, time. Yeah, so time, time would be experienced as an emotional state, as the as intensity that would be either now or never. Okay, interesting. So yeah, uh, I I I want to see if I can illustrate this with an example and like correct me if this is not relevant. But say if I was to um, ask you right now hey dana do you want to join me for a, an ice water diving class five nights out of the week <laughs> <laughs> and if you thought well uh, depending on now or never how what would you how would the thought process to that proposition go in your current state oh boy uh there <laughs> So in an extreme example of that, because I have a good sense of humor, I would be intrigued and I would probably... I'm dead serious. Uh, <laughs> it has to be five nights a week. Five nights no a week. No exceptions. So a big commitment like that for me, because because I have the self-awareness of what is possible for me in that particular time of life, I would have the ability to be giving an assertive and kind no. And right. I would know that I would not have the say emotional and time resources to do that mm-hmm. but if and then it never crosses your mind again yeah and uh if it did have an element of where i had the thought of the possibility though what would happen is my mind would go through it and it would be sorted and filed in you know the memory of mm-hmm. possibilities and uh what would happen is it would be like an interest on my radar but unless there are specific concrete things that are in my uh like they're visible to me that show how it is actually progressing and becoming a reality Mm -hmm. then it just it's not going to happen so there has to be tangible things that show how it can be a reality and how it can be workable right and like more extreme examples like that again it's different because some people who have maybe a bit more of the uh the thrill seeking and the more of the uh impulsive situation aspects so Mm. uh, with adhd you know you have the three presentations there's inattentive um, the hyperactive and the combined. So right. people who are a bit more on the hyperactive side of things, they might jump to that and say, oh, oh, hell yeah, I would do that. And Yeah, let's be- go in some ice water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, again, this is, you know, an overgeneralized example here, but that yeah, might yeah. be on their radar and they might right. immediately take the steps necessary to do that because okay. it, everything clicks into place. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, that's a good answer. How do you feel about the prospect of ice diving? Uh... <laughs> I would, so to be honest, I would try it once, provided that there is a nice bunch of warm towels or in a hot tub, like, or some sort of warming device right nearby, because <laughs> I've tried cold showers before. You know, I kind of got in that hole. There was like a craze of people becoming obsessed with cold showers and how it's supposed to brighten your day in the morning. And like, I tried that a few times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of my partners always takes cold showers. It's like, I don't know. He's always hard on his own immune system it's like a it has a lot of merit and i i do yeah. like i do agree that it would be good but for me i just i can't see that in the winter time when it's like mm. 30 oh no no he still does in, in the winter too <laughs> oh my sorry, god sorry this is getting so irrelevant <laughs> thank you for humoring that example <laughs> um 
on that note, uh, we can get ready to take a break in a moment. So I'm really happy with this new remake of Baby It's Cold Outside. It's done by John Legend and Kelly Clarkson. And it sounds exactly like the original, but the lyrics are just a little more positive. Uh, enjoy. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I've gotta go away. Well, I can call you right. This evening has been I'm so glad that so very nice. My daddy will be pacing the floor. Wait, what are you still living home? So really, I'd better scurry. Your driver, his name is well, Murray. Maybe just a happy oh, dream. Oh, we're both adults, so who's keeping what score? What will my friends think? Well, I think they should rejoice. If I have one more dream. It's your body and your choice.
Good morning. You're listening to Wake the F Up on 101.5 UMFM, your local feminist radio show that strives to make an anti-colonial and intersectional analysis broadcasting from Treaty 1 territory. My name is Christina. I use pronouns she, her, and I have a guest with me. Howdy, everybody. This is uh, Dana, uh, pronouns he and they. So today we're just kind of continuing our discussion, expanding upon topics of neurodiversity, and we were talking how time dilation is different in your experience. Yeah, the experience of time, um, well, even even out of, outside the context of neurodiversity, there are you know experiences that time can be experienced differently, like in a flow state. Uh, yeah, like for a yeah, typical yeah. person, like time goes faster if you're enjoying something and then time goes slower. In extreme situations that know. may involve like really hyper focus. And that's that's definitely where like, I guess they call time dilation because it's expanding interaction sort of thing. And uh, right. yeah, right. Well, that's a good word for it. Um, so is it true that sometimes this time dilation difference might be adaptive? Absolutely. So uh, just uh, if any of you didn't uh, catch before, um, I, I don't think I kind of explained what the perception of time may look like for uh, holistic people, but uh, it's more perceived as linear steps of attention. And so, like, if you're looking at a clock, it's a lot easier for a person without ADHD to accurately gauge the necessary energy and activation required to do something. And so that happens because of the the neurotransmitters and the 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 circuitry in the brain working in concert to make that a, a reality mm-hmm. and so when you have the adhd brain and how it perceives that uh emotional urgency is either now or not now uh what mm-hmm. happens is you have that like burst of a combination you know, of adrenaline and dopamine kind of driving you to do the necessary actions. Absolutely. With and then intensity. And, yeah. yeah. And you're saying in some contexts that can be really useful. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, I, All good. Uh, and a tangent there. <laughs> oh, no, no. You know, explaining is always good. <laughs> <laughs> Having a few brain farts today because I had a bit of a long day. But uh, that's OK. This is literally an episode on mental health. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Oh, Carry on. <laughs> especially that there is a Jets game today and I just the traffic was just nuts and I was, you know, kind of stressing out in my car. But now that I'm here, yeah, driving through that is madness. Oh, I don't blame you. Yeah. Driving can be one of those things where the adrenaline of it, like even going at the reg. <laughs> so I'm not saying that I like the adrenaline of driving, but just the fact that there are moving metal things that can kill you that creates enough adrenaline to keep you focused in certain situations mm-hmm. and uh so that itself when i actually so speaking of time dilation when i'm driving i often perceive time in that sense where it's like this perpetual state of now like i'm intensely focusing on things right. and right the only way that i know a certain time has passed is if i look at the clock but even if i look at it at regular intervals it doesn't feel the same right. it feels like just now 
or not now. Mm-hmm. And, and to our listeners who <clears throat> might be confused by us talking about a Jets game, even though it is currently Thursday morning, uh, that's not just Dana. This conversation was had <laughs> on, on Sunday evening, just to be sorry, on Tuesday evening. My goodness. Now my title. <laughs> Time dilation. It's we, yeah. We're all struggling, apparently. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Back. Contexts where time dilation <laughs> might be adaptive. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> A perfect situation would be in uh, situations that require a lot of fast. Like very dynamic environments. Yeah, absolutely. Like fast paced. Uh, a perfect example is like, say, uh, paramedic services or firefighting services. First responders. When everything in the moment is so critical, that amount of concentration is modulated by the intensity of it with the adrenaline mm-hmm. and the, the dopamine and and all those circuitries that are working to support that hyper focus. Right, right. And you're perceiving things as, you know, everything's intense and urgent and you're able to, you know, work your executive magic that way. Yeah. So you might even be better at like fast decision making in a situation like that, would you say? Absolutely. Like I would even say maybe in certain situations it could be a super performer. Uh, I know a person in um, just just to keep, you know, privacy and confidentiality thing. A person that uh, mentioned in the group that they have experience, you know, in driving in certain situations that they would, they were able to do a lot of uh, multitasking very efficiently because of that specific right situation. Yeah, and, and to to those those people who are not psych nerds like us, <laughs> multitasking is just very fast task switching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we are unfortunately we are not like computers that can do multiple. Mm-mm threads and some of that nope. at once contrary to popular belief it is just very fast task switching <laughs> yeah. sorry to break it to you <laughs> um so a really important form of self-care for anybody really is having a good support system in the form of a good community would you agree with that absolutely i think that's probably one of the most important factors of mental wellness even in general like Mm -hmm. i think that's underrated with everyone really like our that's probably one of the number one issues with our society is that the fact that we don't have like community being a normalized thing yeah it's so isolating an excellent an excellent book to actually read more about that if anybody's interested is there's a book called i can't remember the title but it's by a a researcher named john or johan hari Mm -hmm. i think it's called well let's look it up right now. yeah let's take a little johan uh, Johan Hari. Yeah. Okay. And Let's the see who book he wrote. is called uh, Lost Connections. Lost the, Connections. Yeah. There we go. Fantastic oh. book of just how profound social connection can affect our mental health, and he's he's shown a lot of statistics about how isolation, and loneliness can be significantly more deadly than smoking. Yeah, I think I remember reading yeah. a statistic once. I think they said like like 2.7 times more deadly than smoking or something. I'm sure like yeah. a number that specific is probably just from one study. But you catch my drift. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah like isolation is way worse for your health than, than smoking. Yeah. After all, we are all a social species that we evolved mm-hmm. in those uh, in that context. And even even introverts and people who yes. need more space to themselves, we still depend on other people. And that's in the fabric of our DNA Mm -hmm. and our bodies and our minds know when those aren't 
needs are not being met. And often the signaling of that is you know, through depression and a lot of inflammatory uh, diseases and mm-hmm. counterintuitively, like that's the thing that's still more research is coming out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess with doing the support group work that you do, you're kind of tapping into that, how useful it is to have community. Absolutely. It's even another analogy I like to have is that you're also, you're getting a bunch of people and brains together and we are all sharing situations and our experiences and ideas and that is just it, it's you're making like a super brain and you are doing a lot of things I at like once that. it's <laughs> it's so helpful and like honestly that's where I feel most of my energy and a lot of my uh like I feel like I've done a good solid you know two hours of of work that helps people and it brings people together and that's like once you've come yeah. to the end of facilitating one of these group discussions yeah i don't feel drained mm-hmm. at all it's one of those things where even though i'm using the my attention in a very focused way that is also it can be exhausting as far as the amount of energy required for attention mm-hmm. i my my spiritual and emotional well-being is just it's amplified because of that I, that's like my strengths are being utilized in that situation. Right. Yeah. I I would agree. I think you have excellent facilitating skills. Oh, thank you. Just as somebody <laughs> who's seen you in, in a support group. Um, so would you say that your, uh, how is your empathy affected kind of in the, in the group setting like that? It definitely depends on situations. Like, so empathy is one of those things where I believe every human being that is not a, a hardcore psychopath has <laughs> has working empathy but it, it's it's it it works in different ways like mm. um it's very dependent on how much emotional resources you have as well like if you mm. are if you are doing very poor mentally and if you experienced are, a lot of trauma yeah or... oftentimes empathy can be blocked it can be difficult to access because you are in self-preservation mode and mm-hmm. and you're you know you're it's like you're fighting for survival and so what happens is your resources are being directed towards yourself and that can come in the forms of you know exhaustion lack of energy lack of attention and focus mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, typical depression and anxiety symptoms and uh, what happens is um, for the attentional aspect I find that it's a mix of I do feel visceral empathy mm-hmm. and I also feel the situational empathy in which that I am able to create a space so if I am in a situation where a person is sharing a very difficult experience where it requires a lot of attention and a lot of um, a lot of emotional like um, what's the word attention and care and yeah yeah like careful handling it, it, it's it's for me it seems to be the right balance of um, who's my train of thought again? The right balance of the energy and strengths that I have with the perspective of being able to put myself in that perspective and not getting too overwhelmed by the intensity of the emotions and et cetera. Okay. So you're having to like distance yourself just enough so that you can like properly focus on everything that's going on without becoming so invested and involved that you're like getting lost in the empathy and just like getting bogged down by it yeah like it's almost like a bird's eye view like you're kind of zooming in and out of the Mm -hmm. forest for the Mm -hmm. trees and you're able to put that in perspective and like i do feel like a lot of certain body sensations i'd say if if you're if you're helping a person out with a very 
a very sad situation that has a lot of difficult emotions like you do recognize that you feel those but at the same time it's there's strategies that help you and that other person are able to work things out and mm -hmm. oftentimes once the situation has moved on to something else you, you then feel the after effects of that and then kind of it's almost like a delayed mm -hmm. and so but, but again it's also very situational because there's times where i do feel a lot of overwhelm like when it comes to situations yeah. where if i have a lot of things happening and my attention is being it's if it's very taxed mm -hmm. it's more difficult to maintain that sort of perspective and that and that um staying on top of things and that's where you need to mm -hmm. recognize when you need to take a break and you need the support of an additional you know helper and that sort of thing yeah yeah and then it would also depend on whether it's like a one-on-one -on -one interaction with somebody that you're close with like somebody you have a relationship yeah. with versus the group setting um and that could even just be due to the fact that like in a group setting they're talking to like, yes, they're talking to you, the facilitator, but like they are talking to the facilitator. It's not you personally. You know that they don't have any, you know, expectations of you due to if they were your friend or something like that. So that can also, I would say for a typical person, help with that kind of like disconnect. Like I can kind of understand what you're talking about. It's yeah, it's definitely like you're 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 primarily there to be open ears and mm -hmm. an open heart in order to understand what the person is going through because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. after all that's that's what we're all here for is we want to feel understood and we want to share our perspective and like it's a there's a tendency for a lot of people to kind of go into you know problem solving mode and to right off the bat offer solutions which you know like even I had a bit of uh, peer support training I'm going for more too but like it's very tempting to, you know, throw out your best solutions and what you think can help other person. But mm -hmm. what they're actually looking for is compassion. Yeah. Compassion. Validation. To be there on the same level and just to put yourself in those shoes that you're that they're experiencing. And once that is established, then you could start to, you know, work with maybe some possible problem solving down the line if the person's open to it because sometimes people aren't even looking for those things sometimes they just they want to be heard like i said before and yep yeah absolutely yeah that's a great explanation um so should we talk a little bit about mental health over the holidays Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I say that enthusiastically not yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how can we be good feminists over the holidays um I think the number one thing that comes to mind for me is don't get offended if people don't get you gifts. Like I know it's a nice thing and of course appreciate if people get you gifts, but for a lot of people, finances are a thing, time, energy, these are all things. So I think if you just remove, if you're able to eventually remove that expectation that people need to do this, I think that's just really more accommodating of people in your life. Um, what else would you say, Dana? How can we be good? mental health advocates and feminists over the holidays since holidays I, I think that holidays mean a lot for different people and like so just to take that intersectional lens on it I think um, people are gonna have you know different experiences and emotions during the holidays and uh, one thing that I see that's very um, prominent is that there's always this pressure and this expectation to always be in a cheerful happy mood yeah like that holiday spirit stuff and mm -hmm. oftentimes that just completely dismisses people who might be suffering from you know let's say depression whether it's related to holidays or not seasonal Absolutely. depression difficult yeah. difficulties with the situation in their life like 
um, lack of resources for mm-hmm. certain things. And like when, when a person's going through pain and difficulties, you know, expecting them to put on that cheerful face and fake things, it's just so exhausting, unrealistic yeah. and it's patronizing and it's just, it's, it's insulting. Yeah, it is. And especially like, especially considering the fact that the holidays can be so overwhelming. Yeah. There's so many expectations. And like the last thing you need is people to just, you know, be completely upset with you unless you have, you know, the smiling from ear to ear and, you know, feel the mist. And people even talk about the the magical holiday spirit that comes over you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a special time. But if people are feeling sad, they're feeling sad. And it's definitely it's important that, to make space for that. Absolutely, that pre- that pressure to always perform for whatever that audience and the the eye that's on you, and again, that also ties into um, the expectations that women have to always, you know, be there to be uh, emotionally receptive mm-hmm. and, and and approachable and 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 pleasant, which is just it's oh, such yeah. a it's such a un like it's just. It's not even just that. Like, there's so many expectations of women, like uh, the traditional expectations of women over the holidays. There's usually a huge burden placed, you know. Emotional labor is a huge thing, too. Exactly. Like the burden of, you know, making it a special time for their kids if they have kids. That's a huge expectation placed on the women decorating the house. Like all these factors related to domesticity, the cooking, the, you know, attention to detail. Like it's like a third it's i was about to say like a third job but um a third job that goes unpaid and yeah but you know depending on however many jobs she may or may not have (laughs) but yeah yeah huge huge uh stressful time for people um and then uh it's also important to recognize that some people uh the holidays may be a really difficult time if they're not in contact with their family or if they don't have like good family relationships um you want to be careful when asking people like oh did you did you get all these gifts from your family or did you you know have all this time with your family and like for some people that might be a really difficult thing to talk about um so you know always uh tread lightly tread carefully um what would you say the holidays are a good time for definitely for uh reflection um so for me, I like to consider holidays as a time to take stock of things and to reflect on what maybe changes I need to make and directions I need to go in life. And mm-hmm. again, that 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 itself is a privilege and yeah, a like situational if you're able thing. To get, yeah, if you're yeah. able to get that time off work. Some people aren't able to get that time off work. But yeah, yeah. if you do get a moment, if nothing else, it's always good to have that time for reflection. Definitely. Uh, and like related to that, um, just slowing the pace of everything down and kind of doing the opposite of that holiday busyness and, and rushing and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, it helps with the reset factor. Like even for me, I because I do also suffer with seasonal affective disorder, mm-hmm. and so my energy naturally is also lower at this time of the year. Right. So allowing myself to go at a slower pace and just avoid high traffic areas avoid i don't do any sort of holiday shopping what i do is i basically i donate to a charity of my choice and i you know say that to you know friends and family and i make that sort of the expectation that that's what i'm doing that although i love everybody in my life i'm just not going to be focusing on giving gifts because i Mm -hmm. for me like going out and buying things like that it's just it's not important what's important is that i am showing that i care about people that I love by spending time with them and communicating 
as my authentic self. And yeah, absolutely. I think that is just as important and if not even more important than, um, you know, like putting on these festival things because mm-hmm. you could technically have a holiday holiday at any time of the year. Like, why do we have to wait till Christmas to show people in our lives that, that we, we appreciate care about right? them? Yeah. Ah, so true. Messages to go home with. <laughs> and also, like, that that's that's great that you uh that you're able to, you know, donate to charities and that because there's such a huge over corporatization of the holidays. Like even just consumer buy, buy, buy and that mass, sort of stuff. Mass consumerism. Yeah. Oh my god, it's terrifying. It's amazing what they've commodified. It's just it never fails to surprise me. Also, um, if people if if you're if you're ever caught up in this debate about happy holidays versus merry christmas versus happy kwanzaa it this me this feminist i believe that if anyone wishes you happy anything any type of warm holiday greeting or warm greeting whatever i will always be like thanks you too because it's made from a a good intention a good intention exactly so you know that's I, I just have to give my two cents on that. You know, some people think that whatever, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, like warm wishes to you, too. Honestly, truly happy holidays. So as we get into wrapping up the show for today, um, we can just review again. Uh, Dana, what's uh, how can people get involved with this support group that you uh, that you facilitate for? Absolutely. So this uh, support group is uh, totally free. It is um it's I, I facilitate and I also have um, I also do co-facilitator for another group. Uh, there's a whole variety of uh, and that's also with the mood disorder. That's right. Yeah. So so uh, it's with the mood disorders of Manitoba, and then the one that you facilitate is the ADHD one. Yeah. So right now, because it's quite still new, uh, we have a smaller group, but I, I expect there will be quite a few more visitors mm-hmm. uh, in the new year, and uh, we're looking at maybe getting some more, uh, maybe. Um, coverage like one of the persons in the group is looking at doing some maybe a brochure that has some more information on it awesome. and uh yeah with the mood disorders association of manitoba is such a great organization it's mm-hmm. a non-profit they do such amazing work and mm-hmm. uh definitely wherever i can i give shout outs to them and th- mm-hmm. they're located at uh, four fort street behind the fort gary hotel mm-hmm. and the entrance closest to assiniboine is it Avenue or Street? Is that's usually how Assiniboine, yeah, like yeah. that nice little street. And then, uh, what time of the week uh, does the support group occur? Uh, so it's uh, every Monday uh, from seven to nine. I get there a little earlier just because I like to, you know, try to get myself organized. Of but, course. Uh, <laughs> and awesome. you know, no, like no pressure to be in there. the evening, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's. I, I have some structure as far as like you know what we do in the in the beginning, middle, and end of the group, but it's it's not a like. It's not one of those things where it's specific topics every time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of flexibility for, you know, creative discussions and a lot of different types of uh, information. I have a lot of resources that I'm building as far as, you know, providing that information for people who are new to learning about their journey and ADHD and uh, neurodiversity. And um, mm-hmm. again, I just want to emphasize that you don't even have to have a diagnosis to mm-hmm. come on board. And it's totally free. Yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for that plug. And if any folks uh, missed the details on that and you want to know more about the ADHD or the bipolar support group, you can just shoot us a message on our Instagram. And that is also if you have any comments or suggestions for future shows. Um, our Instagram is wakethefupumfm. Uh, thanks so much for joining me here today, Dana. Thank you so much, Christina. Absolutely. And happy holidays to everyone. You too. Have, a, have yourself a happy holiday.